Hey Freeway, uh, good to be able to come to you again this morning, uh, live into your homes, uh, getting into this new rhythm of one church in in many homes. It's really strange in here this morning to be in here uh, by yourself and, and no one else in the building, but it's certainly uh, uh, great to be able to have people elsewhere. We've got Tom bunkered down in his home at home, uh, getting this and sending it out to you. And I don't know what Steve's doing, but he's out there uh, doing something well as well. It's been our third Sunday in a row where we've had to uh, look at doing church a, a different way. We've had to take stuff off site this time. And so our team has just been really great in adapting and, and responding to all the things uh, that, that we need to be able to do. Uh, just something we thought of on, on the way through, uh, just in case some of you don't know, if you're not familiar with myself and the people at this church here, some of you might have been concerned that myself and uh, the singer were a little too close and not practicing social distancing. We're actually married, so we get a lot closer than that. So uh, don't panic, don't text, don't email, uh, all good. Hey, uh, how about we pray and, and then we're going to get to work and into this passage this morning. Uh, loving Father, we just want to come before you now. And thank you for the ability to be able to gather as one church in many homes, uh, that we have the resources and the capabilities to do that. Uh, as we do, our hearts and our minds turn towards what's going on around us in the world. We continue to pray for those that are working on vaccines and the like for this virus, that you would give wisdom and insight uh, like never before. We pray for those who are working with the sick and in hospitals and in as first responders and healthcare workers that are in this what we've been terming the front line that you would uh just give them uh increased endurance uh and and at some level protection lord we think of those with uh that are that are sick lord that they would uh minimal loss of life we pray in your mercy would you come and and bring an end to uh what's going on but now, Lord, as your hearts turn again towards this morning, we pray uh, that you, would, your spirit, would stir in us from this passage about what it is, what it's telling us about uh, your desire to be in relationship with us, Jesus' work to accomplish that, and how our relationship with all that uh, fits together. So we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today is <clears throat> Palm Sunday, so naturally enough, our reading in Matthew comes uh, from that event, Palm Sunday there. Uh, all four Gospels actually record uh, what took place on Palm Sunday. So we have uh, a pretty good picture of, of what takes place. If you've got your Bibles there and you've got them open, and I hope you do, you'll notice that this is not actually called Palm Sunday. Uh, if you're in the ESV, it'll, it'll say something like the triumphant entry. Uh, if you're in the NIV, it'll say Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king which is actually what was taking place, what's being described here. So kind of thinking, how is it that it got the name, the nickname Palm Sunday? How is it that we come to know this event more by Palm Sunday than we do by what is actually taking place? And the reason this historic event has been called this over the years, Palm Sunday, is because of the activity of the people uh, from towns like Bethpage and Bethany uh, in these two villages outside of Jerusalem where Jesus had paused before he went into Jerusalem, before his triumphant entry. And as he moves in there, as we read, they all 
pour out of these two little towns and they line the streets and they're throwing their coats on the ground in front of Jesus and they're cutting branches down and it's John's gospel uh, that tells us that they're palm branches and they, and they line the streets with them. And as they're doing this, they're also singing out uh, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, out of all of this, out of all of this activity, uh, we choose to call it Palm Sunday because of a side note that John makes in his gospel. Palm Sunday, for me, as I thought about it, was a pretty... Uh, underwhelming and even obscure description of what was actually taking place, particularly if you're not up to speed uh, with the symbolism of, of palm branches and, and the using of your coats, if you like, as a virtual uh, laying down of a royal red carpet uh, in front of Jesus. And if you're not uh, familiar theological gravity of calling someone the son of David, uh, singing out things like Hosanna, proclaiming someone to be this son of David. Well, what we actually have going on here is an improvised, if you like, some somewhat spontaneous crowd-approved coronation of Jesus as king. Uh, it kind of it looks like a, a little it looks like uh, one a little sketchy one uh, mentioned in Second Kings nine, where they threw their coats uh, before a newly crowned king there. But only on this occasion. Uh, added to this occasion is the people proclaiming Jesus as their final and ultimate king. That's what the, the, the phrase son of David means. And, and this king would come and in his final and ultimate rule and reign would save, would deliver uh, his people, would establish a, a, a universal peace and, and extraordinary blessing and security uh, for all the people gathered into his kingdom. That's what it means to, to sing this line, Hosanna. Straight out of things like a Psalm 118 and other messianic expectations of this coming uh, king, this coming person. And this unauthorized, if you like, coronation of Jesus isn't just confined to the, to the road uh, into Jerusalem. The people intend for it to, to fill the air to the heavens themselves. Hosanna in the highest they are singing. It's a call to God himself. It's a, it's a reverent way of approaching God to say, here comes your king. Here comes your final king, the one who comes in your name. And what we have here then is actually perhaps the most uh, confrontational moment in the life of Jesus in all of the Gospels. Uh, the most confrontational moment at the at the climax of all that he claimed about himself and who he claimed to be. And Matthew's gospel captures the mood of this well in verse 10 where he says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up, saying, Who is this? The city, Jerusalem, is not as accepting uh, of this king as the crowds are out on the road. In fact, they question his kingship and their claim to it. They are disrupted by this claim. This phrase here that, that, that the whole city was stirred up is a strong and, and vivid phrase uh, that actually means or was actually used to describe the effects of an earthquake, what an earthquake would do. Uh, we get the word seismic from it now. 
The city of Jerusalem is literally unsettled with the news of this entering, this approaching king. The atmosphere, if you like, is the same uh, atmosphere, the same mood that we read about uh, way back at the beginning of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 2 when Herod heard the news of a new king born to the Jews, that the city was disturbed by the news. They do not receive it with the same gladness as the crowds outside the city. And their concern is not quelled with the answer that they receive about the credentials of this king. The jubilant crowds proclaim, this, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Galilee, essentially tying their boy Jesus uh, to the messianic promises in Deuteronomy 18. It's not a shift away to call him a prophet. It's not a shift away from his kingly uh, title, if you like, but it's more of a, a specific reinforcing of it, not just any old messianic figure, but the one promised to Moses. That's who this is. It's tense. It's a tense situation. And what's more, Jesus is not exactly helping the tension. In fact, it seems that he's driving the confrontation. It seems as we read this passage that he's organizing things. He's in total control of this erupting environment around his identity and who he is. A question that's been simmering all the way throughout the Gospels. Who is Jesus and how should we respond to the claims that he makes about himself? Well, in a way, this particular moment all kind of ramped up, all kind of went next level back in chapter 20 when two blind beggars addressed Jesus as the son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. As we said, this is a strong messianic phrase that describes uh, or captures the longing for God's final and ultimate king. Up to this point, uh, Jesus has been indirect, if you like, towards claiming his messianic identity, uh, often referring to himself as the son of man. However, on this occasion, he not only receives the acknowledgement of his identity, but he actually acts in accordance with it. Son of David, yes, what do you want me to do for you? Well, we'd like you to open our blind eyes if that's not too much trouble. Sure, that's what I do. And Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and they were healed. Now, normally, this would be quite scandalous. This would be quite glorious all at once. What do you do with a religious figure who interacts uh, with what's considered unclean and unworthy, who, who goes and touches what's unclean? It doesn't become unclean himself, but cleanses and heals that which he touches and approaches. What do you do with someone who does uh, this to demonstrate the unconventional initiatives of the kingdom that he says he's come to establish? He's not affected by the brokenness of this world, but rather seems to be restoring it. What's your response? Well, normally this would be a big deal. But this is the same town that Jesus has just raised Lazarus back to life in. The same audience to which Jesus made the claim to be life itself, not just physical life, but eternal life. They already knew Jesus was next level when it came to what he could do and what he claimed to be. But but what 
turns them into a procession of people who would run before him and throw down their coats on the roads and cut palm trees, palm branches from the trees, is that now Jesus himself finally acknowledges his messianic crown. Son of David, yes, that's me. What can I do for you? That's me. I am God's promised hope of salvation and deliverance. I am your true king. And that's why our Bibles uh, title it a triumphant entry or Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. And in this moment, we see the dual expressions of Jesus' kingship that have been the hallmark of his ministry the whole way through. Humility and, for want of a better word, immodesty. Jesus is tremendously humble, but not at all modest, to quote uh, Timothy Keller. The humility of Jesus is demonstrated in his loving, uh, compassionate, generous servant nature. Jesus says, uh, I have not come to be served, uh, but to serve. And in a few days' time, Jesus is going to be washing the feet of his disciples. But there is not a shred of modesty in this humble man, making outrageous claims about himself, like, I am the Father of one. If you believe my words, you will have life, not just physical life, but eternal life. Things like, I forgive sins. Things like, all scripture points towards me. And of course, before Abraham was, I am. You see, humble, but not a shred of modesty. All along the way, uh, Jesus has been humbly ministering uh, the countercultural expression of his kingdom by going to those who are outside, by, by, by moving toward people that people would not normally move toward, uh, by reversing the effects of sin, but all the time without ever compromising the credentials of his kingship and his claims. You see, Jesus, he has compassion on these blind men. That's how this king moves. He moves humbly towards them. He reaches out and he touches that which is considered to be untouchable. But there is nothing modest about him. Son of David, yes, that is me. And the strident claims of his kingship is further demonstrated as we read on in in verses 12 to 16 when he reclaims his father's house, the temple. A place, uh, a, a place where, where God is designed uh, for people to have access to him, to encounter him. And, and there we see Jesus, he acts like his name is on the title, like his name is on the title paper papers to this place, rearranging the furniture, uh, stopping the practices that are going on inside, overturning the barriers of religious uh, ritual that rob people and in particular are the Gentiles from access to God. Once again, publicly demonstrating that God himself has placed his stamp of authority on him as a king behind the redemptive grace and acceptance uh, that he has for people and that it's only found in Jesus. And again, in this moment, we see that Jesus uh, heals the broken and the marginalized. He brings into his kingdom those who are of absolutely no practical worth to a normal king. Uh, Blind and the lame are not going to be of any benefit. And again, the city opposes Jesus. 
Don't you hear? They are calling out to you. They are calling you a king. They are calling you the ultimate king of all things. Hosanna to the son of David. To which Jesus replies or applies, I should say, Psalm 8. Psalm 8, a psalm that speaks about the universal and unmatched uh, majesty and power of God and that this God of great power and majesty is also deeply and intimately uh, concerned for people, that he, is, that he is mindful of them and he will not have his care uh, for them obscured by his enemies. And try even the very weakest, even the most worthless of those who receive the care of this mindful God will declare it, will cry it out even more. That's why they're singing, boys. Jesus is always humbly but scandalously forcing his identity on you. He comes gently. He comes humbly, but he never comes anonymously. He comes to us like a quake. Yes, I hear them, Jesus says. Haven't you read about me? I am someone who has the authority to restore access to the Father. When, even when it's been obscured, even when my enemies seek to obscure it, my enemies will reject this, but my children will rejoice in it. That's what's going on here. That's Palm Sunday. It's a king making his claim. It's a king not making a claim for a political kingdom, a geographical kingdom, some kind of uh, racial kingdom, or not even a religious kingdom. His kingdom is one of restored access to God as father. His kingdom is one of restored people from the effects uh, of, of slavery to sin. Jesus will not have his kingship, the nature of his kingship dictated to him to fit people's ideas, to fit into their programs. His kingship comes by way of God's plan and God's design. And we see again uh, that Jesus is in control of the narrative. In three of the four Gospels we read, Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead into a town to fetch for him a donkey and its cult that he will ride on, that he will use to, to kind of demonstrate the kind of king that he is. John's Gospel just records the moment that Jesus actually sits on the donkey. Both Matthew and John, or Matthew because we're reading it this morning, let us know that this takes place uh, to fulfill scripture and in particular scriptures like the vision uh, that Zechariah had, the prophecy of Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9. 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And then like way back in Genesis 49, there's this picture of one to come whose universal rule will be so so generous in its provision that you will be able to wash your clothes in wine. That's an abundant picture of provision. This ruler, this king who brings this abundant provision has a colt of a donkey as his ride. That's his royal steed. Two things are taking place here. Jesus is aligning himself uh, with the promises of Scripture as its Messiah, as its promised ruler, as the one who's going to bring this abundant rule and reign, who would deliver and save his people. And he's also revealing the way in which he plans 
to save his people. You see, your king comes gentle, meek, riding a donkey. This is not the position of a great ruler. This is the position of a servant. Not on some impressive war horse, on some impressive steed, like the position of a great conqueror, someone who would come in and and, and force submission and establish a kingdom through power and and compliance. That's not the picture Jesus paints here. He's coming in riding a donkey, humble and gentle. Any general, any king on a donkey coming to establish a claim of a kingdom is going to get slaughtered. They are basically offering themselves up for death. Easy pickings on the battlefield, if you like. Jesus comes in riding like a humble servant. He is a vulnerable king. He is a killable king. This is how he plans to recover the lost access to God that sin has caused in the hearts of every single person. Those who would lay down palm branches on the road and those who would question his credentials. Jesus approaches us all as a servant, willing to lay down his life. That's the plan to reverse the problem. The problem is this. Sin is the problem. And sin is servants putting themselves in the place of a king. That An act of treason. And therefore, salvation, access back to God, comes by the king putting himself in place of the servant. That's the plan. And that's the gospel. No greater act of love than a king who would die for rebellious subjects. This king plans to give his life as a substitute for the lives that sin holds captive. Sin is the simple but deadly idea that that you are actually king, that you should organize all your relationships, all your activities, all your passions to serve you, that you are qualified in yourself to determine what you find meaning in, to determine what should give you your satisfaction, faction in life, the things that you would pour your heart into worship, the things that you think will hold you in place. You get to design these things. You get to establish these things. But then something like COVID-19 comes along and reveals that we actually aren't qualified to do this at all. And rather than rule these things, we find that they rule us. And when they're threatened, When they're getting taken away, we find that we are counterfeit kings, that we are glory thieves whose attempt to rule has left us with crumbling kingdoms, anxious hearts and insecure hope. The Jesus of Palm Sunday says, I am coming into your crumbling kingdoms, to your insecure rule. Humbly, I am coming, but like a quake. I disrupt it and I come to set up my rule, a rule of grace, a rule that says stop striving and rest in me. Let me serve your soul and restore it and bring it back to a place of peace. You see, you need a king who is qualified to bring peace to you. You need a king who replaces the counterfeit securities. You need a king whose name you are adopted back into the kingdom of God. And these are all the claims of Jesus. These are all the immodest, outrageous claims of Jesus. You need a king who would exchange your shame, your guilt and anxiousness for his glory, his freedom, 
and his security and his relationship back with the Father. And that's the king of Palm Sunday, riding a donkey toward a cross where a humble Jesus would exchange his glory and his perfect life as a subject of God's kingdom for the lives of counterfeit kings, rebels. You need a king who would remove and replace all that obscures and robs us of access and relationship with God, who we are created to have our hearts satisfied in. Jesus is that kind of king, humble in his approach, but not a shred of modesty in his claim to rule your heart. Palm Sunday is the end of Lent. And people give up all kinds of things for Lent. Like it's some kind of big deal. And and it kind of is in a way. But here's the question. Have you given up your heart? Is this humble king of Palm Sunday the king of your heart? Has he established his rule and reign? Has he come like a quake and brought a quake of grace through your heart? Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this uh, incredible confrontational scene as your son Jesus moves into Jerusalem. As we head towards Easter, we are left with no uncertain kind of um, ambivalence around who Jesus is and what he claims to be. Our hearts this morning as we read through this uh, passage here is that we would examine our hearts to see if we have set up our own kingship there or whether Jesus has come and established his rule and reign. Our prayer is that more and more uh, we would uh, allow Jesus into that space. We thank you, uh, Father, for this uh, message to us in your gospel here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.